We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equippers Church in Eden. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Come on, let's give Jesus Christ a decent shout of praise. What an awesome God we serve, amen? Come on, are you excited to be in church? Some of you came in here and thought it was a cinema. Well, God set you up. Amen, praise God. We're gonna have a good night tonight, amen? amen. Praise God. Yeah, thank you. You, you. you may be seated. Go ahead, take your seats, go on. Thank you, uh, musicians. Aren't the musicians amazing? This screen is absolutely huge. Do you stay back late at night and watch movies or what? This is a very cool screen, man. I'm really excited about being back here. I came to this church many, 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 many years ago. Uh, actually, it was a long time. I don't know when it was. How many years ago? Seven, eight, maybe longer? Praise God. Is anybody here? I see that hand. Will you? Oh, my gosh. I better change my message. It was the same message. I'm probably kidding. But, uh, uh, you, know, uh, how many, you know, Pastor Will is my child. See, we look the same. I thought it was time to let everybody know I am your father. No, I'm only kidding. No, it's not true. It's not true. Um, but, uh, you know, I had the privilege of meeting Willa a fair few years ago, and uh, I'm just really honored to come back. Uh, uh, just a bit of a background. So I, am, uh, I was born in England. I was raised in Australia, but I was made for Malaysia. And so I live in Malaysia now for the last seven years. I absolutely love Asia, everything about Asia. I enjoy the Asian food, the Asian climate, uh, the Asian people. I am an albino Asian, uh, but uh, I, I just love what God is doing. And um, uh, my role uh, back in the day, I suppose, I've been in part of Kingdom City uh, for seven years now. And uh, I was the senior pastor of uh, Kingdom City KL. Uh, for three or four years, I, I, a little bit, and not bounced from, from uh, Perth to KL. We had two campuses, around 2,000 people uh, seven years ago. Um, and now we have uh, just over 31,000 people in 10 nations. And God keeps on growing the thing. And everybody's asking, how do you do it? And we haven't got a clue. But hopefully I'll be able to share some sort of tips tomorrow night and stir your hearts, because I believe that every single person is here on purpose. Amen? And uh, I'm married. I've been married for 31 years. I know that shocks you because you're going, you're only 35. It's true. When I was four years old, I saw her across the room. And I said, you're the one. And we just got married. We made the decision. That's how we roll. That's how we roll in Australia. But uh, no, I'm, I'm a little bit older than that. I'm 54 years old. And uh, I have two gorgeous girls as well, Emily and Isabel, who are 24 and 21. And uh, both single. And uh, I've done my days of scaring away male figures. Uh, you know, I, I've done it, man. I, I scared too many people, and now no one goes near my daughters. No, that's not true, but uh, <laughs> praise God. You know, I used to dream about dismantling little men that tried to come near my daughters. I used to tell them. I'd threaten them from the pool. Gen I've become gentle these days. Now I'll only hurt half of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, we've, we've had a great time. So uh, coming over here, awesome time at Strong's Conference. Absolutely amazing. I love it. I'm on a Daniel fast right now because we're getting ready for a conference uh, in KL in a uh, week's time. Uh, a week tomorrow, actually a week on Tuesday, we've got our conference starting in KL, then over to Perth. And uh, that's going to be phenomenal. So I'm on a Daniel fast. All right, and uh, I gotta be honest with you. I'm going to talk to Jesus. The first person I want to speak to is Jesus when I get to heaven. The second person is Daniel. Because I just want to know why. Why did he pick vegetables? What's wrong with this guy? Why couldn't he fast vegetables? Now, if you're a vegan in this place, I do like vegetarians too, in between two slices of bread. Uh, that's, that's, 
Okay, praise God. You're a tough crowd. Some of you are just staring at me right now. Seriously, listen, you know, I mean, don't be afraid to laugh in the house of God. God created humor, amen? Praise God. The devil just perverted it. Um, but uh, I'm on a Daniel fast, and, uh, you know, and so the men's conference started with a Brazilian barbecue. Yeah, yeah. I'm still hurt, man. I'm wounded, man. I, I'm wounded. Sausage rolls in the middle of a tea breaks. What am I having? Carrot. But God's going to move. Amen? You know, I, I got saved in August 1986. I was 21 years old. And I don't know if anybody can relate to this. Some of us that are over the 40s I might relate to people that used to come along and preach to your church. And they were beautiful people. They were great preachers. They are amazing. But they'd say stuff like this. They'd say, come to Jesus and all your problems will disappear. Has anybody ever heard that? Praise God. Don't be afraid to raise your hands in this place. Here. Come on, you guys are really shy, man. Seriously, like some of you just like, don't just blink at me. Give me a bit of response here, amen? You yell at a rugby match, but you come into church and you're quiet. I don't get it. That's confusing to me, amen? Praise God. Come on. How many people have ever heard anybody pray? Come to Jesus, all your problems. Yeah, now we see the hands, right? Let me tell you, that is a nice, because when I came to Jesus, my problems did not disappear. My problems appeared. Amen? I mean, all of a sudden, now people started having a hard time because I started believing in this man called, does that make sense? And you know, there are a lot of things that changed in my life. I shared with the men, I, I used to be a, a, a chronic drinker. I, was just, I thought I was a social drinker. The problem was I was very sociable. <laughs> in fact, I was daily sociable. I was very sociable. I used to drink like a fish, which I actually don't even know what me, that means. You know, I've heard that. Has anybody heard that saying, drink like a fish? I mean, has anybody ever seen a fish drink? I, dude, seriously, I've never seen a fish drink. I've never seen a fish swimming going, I'm so thirsty, man. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I drank a lot, right? And then all, I, not long after I became born again, I felt God tell me to give up drinking. He said, I'm all this spirit you need. So I gave up drinking. Let me tell you, my father was not happy about that. My father was not happy about that because I was the beer supplier of the house. You know, my mates weren't happy when I decided not to drink anymore. And it was funny because before I was a Christian, I'd go out with them, you know, to a pub or a club and I'd say, hey, boys, I'm not going to be drinking tonight. And they'd go, respect, man, respect. And I was the designated driver. But the moment I became a Christian and I said, I'm not drinking, they went, oh, come on. How many people know what I'm talking about? They, gave, they had a hard time when people at the factory, I was a MIG welder by trade. You know, and I struggled with that one because I believe in turning the other cheek. Okay, you're a man, you... Just gonna have to work a little harder with something. Just okay, praise God. Do you, do you understand, right? So I was going through all these sorts of issues, and family gave me a hard time. I was the second youngest sibling. I've got three brothers and two sisters. And when I became a Christian, they also started picking on me. My dad would give me a hard time. Work would give me a hard time. What I discovered in life was problems didn't disappear. Problems appeared. Now, I'm not here to give you a bad sell saying, okay, I'm not gonna give my life to Jesus Christ. But what you need to understand is Jesus never said, you'll have a storm-free life. There's nowhere in the Bible they go to places where it's gonna be storm-free. I'm gonna move to the tropics. Queens, I think they go to places where it's gonna be storm-free. I'm gonna move to the tropics. Queensland in Australia, they used to say, perfect one day, better the next. That's rubbish. They have bad weather. That's absolutely rubbish. It rains like crazy. And I mean, rain is only good if you're a duck. I mean, how many people know it's not good weather? How many people, there is no perfect place. And Jesus never said, come to me and I'll make your life storm free. But he said, if you come to me, I'll make your life storm proof. Amen. Let me tell you, the promise is this. The promise is this. Storms are going to come, man. But storms pass. There's not an eternal storm. I mean, the weatherman doesn't say, let's have a look at the seven day forecast. Monday, the weather's terrible. Tuesday, awful. Wednesday, I quit. Even Annie said it. 
But the good news, man, even Annie said it. But the good news is Jesus is always in the storm. So tonight I want to teach you, I want to talk to you about storm-proofing your life. Amen? Amen. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not going through any storms. Well, just wait. Praise God. Amen. We're going to look at the book of Acts, right? I'm going to, we're Acts chapter 27. I've, I've got the scriptures as well. We can put it up there so you know I'm not cheating. Uh, but it's there in the Bible. But Acts chapter 27. But before we get to Acts chapter 27, the story's about Paul. Paul the apostle. Saul who became Paul. Had this radical conversion. He was the guy that went out to kill Christians. And when he found out he killed Christians, he went out and got a license to kill. So he was the first James Bond 007. You know, come on, man. Oh, you work with me for goodness sakes. For goodness so he's, he's killing Christians, man. He's persecuting him. He's locking them up. So he's, he's killing Christians, man. He's persecuting him. He's locking them up. Now one day he's riding his donkey on the way to Damascus. Man, all of a sudden Jesus goes, get off. Well, poof, and smashes him off the donkey, right? And then he says, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I'm Jesus, man. You need to knock it off, right? And he makes the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, scales from his eyes, he becomes a radical preacher, amen? I mean, he's a crazy preacher, man. He preached, he wrote two-thirds of the new preacher, amen? I mean, he's a crazy preacher, man. He preached, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The guy was a radical. I mean, his messages were so crazy, man, that people died in the middle of the wall. He preached messages so long that people died in the middle of the message. A guy called Eutychus dropped three floors and died, got up to glory, thought he escaped the message, but Paul went and raised him from the dead and said, I'm not finished. I mean, if that's ever a note for preachers to preach shorter, we're supposed to preach about eternity, not for eternity. Amen. Praise God. But the thing is this, he was a radical. He was, and, and wherever he went, there was either riots, revivals or craziness. And so he'd often find himself in the courts of kings and being, uh, being uh, accused of all sorts of stuff there. And he'd make appeals and he'd move from place to place. Finally, he's at this place where he's standing for a king and the king's, uh, the, all the charges are being brought against him. And Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. Go, but because you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar ye shall go. So he said, go, but because you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar ye shall go. So he sent him to Rome. Amen. Praise God. And we pick it up in Acts chapter 27 when he's about to go on his journey. I'm going to read a lot of scripture and then we're going to get into it. Is that okay? So bear with me, folks. Bear with me. Get excited about it. It's the Word of God. Come on. Hey, 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 hey. Acts chapter 27, verse 13 to 36 says this. When a gentle wind began to blow, they thought they'd obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crake. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted on the sandbars assert us, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took sandbars assert us, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and who I serve, Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Far before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took some soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. 
A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped the four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless they the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense. Urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, and at the same time they untied the ropes that held. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, and at the same time they untied the ropes that held. The ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land in safety. Thus endeth the reading. Let's pray. Father God, help in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people know you don't need to do long? When Lazarus was being raised for the dead, Jesus didn't say, but the situation, the shorter the prayer should be. When Lazarus was being raised for the dead, Jesus didn't begin to feel his lungs. Let his metacarpuscles and meta, you know, he just went, come. Let his metacarpuscles and meta, you know, he just went, come. Praise God. How many people know sometimes short prayers are more effective? Shukaka. Praise God. Here we go. So I want to talk to you about stormproofing because I love this story, right? This, I mean, how many people know this is typical of life? Here's, here's Paul. They're on a boat and then suddenly a storm comes. Have you ever discovered in life that storms come suddenly? Have you ever discovered that you could be cruising along and then all of a sudden you get a phone call and it changes your life? All of a sudden a bill comes in out of nowhere and suddenly you're struck with financial issue. Does this make sense? Maybe you're driving to work and all of a sudden that boss you thought was really cool calls you in and you thought it was nothing but now you found out it was something. Does this make sense? And one minute you're smooth sailing, next minute you're in a storm. Something. Does this make sense? And one minute you're smooth sailing, next minute you're in a storm. How many people know it happens like that in life, yeah? Some bad news happens, an accident happens, a tragedy happens, a bad phone call happens, something happens in the family, something goes on, an argument splits something. One minute it was good, next minute, bang. See, this is the way a lot of life is. Storms all of a sudden come upon you. And this is what I wanna talk about tonight. How do you become storm-proof? And the first point that I wanna give you when we read this text is this, is God comes and He reassures you He doesn't always rescue you. Amen. Come on, folks, you can amen every now and again. Praise God. He reassures you he doesn't always rescue you. What These guys have been on a ship where there's no sun, moon, and stars, and the boat's... These guys have been on a ship where there's no sun, moon, and stars, and the boat's being beaten about by the waves. Even the sailors are panicking. How many people know when the sailors start to panic, it's a good time to panic? Amen? I mean, if they're not panicking, then it's cool. It's just part of the process. You know what I mean? It's like being on a plane and you're hitting some heavy turbulence. If you're a bit of a nervous flyer, the key is look at the stewards. Because the stewards are still pushing crates. They're still trying to serve drinks, man. And you're sitting there going, we're going to turn. We're going to split in half. Come on, folks. Come on. We get They grip the chatter. Ah, ah. And they're going, would you like sugar? And you go, hmm. The captain, and the captain gets on the mic. 
but it should be fine. He's only complaining because his coffee's spilling. We're freaking out. But how many people he's only complaining because his coffee's spilling. We're freaking out. But how many people know if the stewards start freaking, good time to freak. So here's Paul. He's watching the sailors. Everybody's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. Hasn't seen the sun, moon, and stars. I believe he got on his knees and he began to call out to God, God, what's going on? You said you'd watch over me. Help me, Jesus. And all of a sudden, cloud cracks. An angel comes flying down, lands like Iron Man. Come on, use your imagination, folks. Come on, man. He goes, fear not. He goes, well, I'm not afraid. Now you're here. And then you says, it's going to be cool. He goes, we're going to be okay. Yeah, no one's going to die. No one's going to And then you says, it's going to be cool. He goes, we're going to be okay. Yeah, no one's going to die. No one's going to die. You're not even going to lose any hair on your head except for Matt Filder. <laughs> Everything's going to be sweet. He goes, man, that's unbelievable. So everything's going to be sweet. What about the boat? Oh, no, the boat's wrecked. He goes, so the boat's going to be wrecked, but we're going to be fine. And he goes, yeah, 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 no, it's all going to be good. And they're talking, they're chatting. And he goes, so are you okay? Paul, and Paul goes, yeah, I'm fine now. And he goes, okay, see ya, and leaves. How many people know if you're Paul, you'd be going, hey, <laughs> come on, man, I'd be running after him going, yo, <laughs> trying to grab his feet. So he comes and reassures you, but he does not just to keep on rescuing us, but sometimes he comes just to reassure you. I mean, folks, when we think about it, why didn't he just go, peace, be still? See, sometimes he'll come and reassure you, you're going to be okay. Does this make sense, guys? Sometimes we need to hear this. Because we're always waiting for God to rescue and he's going, no, you can get through this. You can do this right. See, so say, well, that doesn't make sense. That's not fair. How many people know God's not fair, God's just? God never promised fair, he promised just. Because your fair and my fair are two different fairs. Amen, come on, folks. Simple illustration. I'm trying to sell my car over here, man. I've got Christian stickers on it and I'm walking around and I'm going, God, I need to sell the Mazda, man. And I need 22,000 New Zealand dollars, man. She cut on my handy under the basar. I anoint the wheels with oil. I put special dove stickers on it saying, Jesus sat in this car. I'm praying, bring along the faithful one that wants to buy this car. It's a holy temple. Every day I walk past going, nah, nah, usu, ha, ha, ha. Okay. Come on, man, because I want to buy another car. Well, you know, I thought I bought a Honda, but I bought a Mitsubishi. Come on, folks. And, and so I'm praying for God to sell it for 22000 But then all of a sudden, Will drives by and he likes my car. I don't know him. I don't even know he's a Christian. He sees my car. He goes, oh my gosh, that's the car for me. He's been praying for the car. Sue grabs the hand of his wife and he goes, Jesus. But God, I know he only, he wants 22000 So we are in the name of Jesus. But God, I know he only, he wants 22000 So we ask God, let him sell it for 18000 so what does God do? What does God do? Does he toss a coin and see which one he likes the most? No, God's just, nothing to do with fair. Does this make sense? We try to work it all out. Let me tell you, flick it to the Old Testament. Here's Moses. Moses have an encounter. First time he meets God, God is a burning bush. Amen. He's a burning bush that calls to him. And he goes, I must turn aside and see this wondrous sight. Why the bush burneth, yet is not consumed. <sighs> Yet he's not consumed. So he goes, come on, I see it's modern, modern day, right? Mo, take off your jandals. Hey, 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 see, it was a kiwi, jandals. Jandals. Hey, 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 see, it was a kiwi, jandals. See, in Australia, we call them thongs, but that's not a right thing, right? You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Oh, oh, ho, ho, ho. Take off thy jandals. 
so now they have this bit of a conversation, right? They have this bit of conversation and, and he says, I need you to go to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. They may come worship me in the desert. And Moses argues with this burning bush. Now, listen, I live by very few rules. But the one thing that I am always never gonna do, if a tree tells me to do something, I'm doing it. If the tree's on fire, do what it says. It's an angry tree. Amen, praise God. But he's having to say, you want me to say, okay, so go to Pharaoh, tell him, let your people go that they may come. What do you want me to say? You want me to say, okay, so go to Pharaoh, tell him, let your people go that they may come worship in the desert. He goes, that's right. And so he goes, all right, I'm off. Finally he goes, and then, and then God goes, oh, one more thing. So Moses stops. He goes, what? He goes, I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart and I'm gonna make him say no. Come on, man. Can you imagine Moses going, so, so you want me to go and ask Pharaoh to let, let your people go? That's right. But, but, but you're gonna make him say no. Yeah. But you still want me to go? Yes. But he's gonna say no because you're gonna make, yes. Why? Which will you go? Common sense. There's nothing common about our God. His thoughts are way higher than us. Amen. So the thing is, sometimes he'll come and reassure you. That's why David could say, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Number one, who says yay? He says, yay, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I would go, ah, I'm running like a sissy girl screaming through the valley of shadow of death. Okay, praise God. Sorry, sorry, girls, sorry. A sissy girl, not you girls, man. You know. Respect, man, respect. Praise God. So number one, he reassures, but he doesn't always rescue. Number two, number two, not always a way out, but a way through. See, this lines up with the first one. See, God doesn't always provide a way out, but he provides a way through. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. All right, so what you're going through, trust me, someone else, no one understands. Trust me, someone understands. No one understands what I'm going through. Seven billion people and no one's got a concept. It's like when people, listen to me, people believe that God doesn't love them. God doesn't love me. Trust me, you're not that significant. God adores you. Amen. Oh, praise God. Some of you haven't, what does he mean? It says, what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So he'll either provide a way out or a way through. Amen? And sometimes you might be going through a hard time, so you go, God, I can't handle it, get me out of here. So he takes you out. And so you get off of that merry-go-around. But how many people know all you do is you get onto a bigger one? And life's good. Life's good again. I love my life. And you keep on making way. Sooner or later, guess what? you're gonna come right back to the same point because God wants you to deal with it. It's like, listen, maybe you're struggling financially and sometimes God bails you out by someone giving you a holy hand. You don't learn how to budget. You just got a Band-Aid on. If you don't learn how to budget, you just got a Band-Aid on your problem, but you're gonna find yourself back in the same hole. Are we okay, folks? Come on, folks. Now, do you understand? So he will provide a way up, but he preferred to develop you and provide a way through. Some of us move to other parts of the country to escape our problems. Jump on a part, I'm just I'm getting out of here. Sick of this joint. You fly somewhere else, you need to understand your passport, man, it knows how to, your, sorry, your problem, it has a passport. Amen? 
Amen. And it travels first. Well, it's sitting there with its feet up in first class going, I'll see you on the other side. But your passport is sitting there with its feet up in first class going, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> yeah, it'll be good for a little while, but we'll meet again. And people, you don't deal with your problems. Trust me, don't disappear. Come on, it's just like, does it make sense? See, we keep on asking God for a way out. Why don't you ask God for a way through? So that the next time the devil tries the same tactic, you go, oh, I know you. I know that issue. I've dealt with you before. Does this make sense? Not always a way out, but a way through. Number three, storms will soon show you what clutters and what matters. Storms will soon show you what's cluttering your life and what matters. Board. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. How many people know oars are useless in a storm? How many people know oars are useless? You couldn't do without, you're doing without. Amen? Sometimes storms come in your life to declutter you. Come on, folks, am I talking to the right people here? We live in a generation where, where you, people get smartphones now. You know what smartphones have done? Smartphones have created dumb people. We don't know how to talk anymore. I'm not talking about dumb here. I'm talking about dumb here. We don't speak anymore. The original meaning of dumb means you don't talk, right? And now we just use this. We look at a little four-inch screen and we can walk our whole life like this man. And we, we can't, don't even know how to write to people anymore. We send emojis. And that's supposed to be some sort of a hug. I mean, I don't feel hugged when you go like this. Imagine if I went home to my wife and said, baby, check this out. My wife would smack my face off, man, and I deserve it, right? That's not, that means nothing. Now, I get it, but do you understand what I'm saying? We've, we've been so hooked up on this technology. We've become high on technology, but low on humanity. And now on a smartphone, it crashes, man. You know when before they were waterproof and you were playing with it on the toilet and you dropped it down and your iPhone became an iPoo? You know what I'm saying? It, it, now it doesn't work anymore. God, well, folks, right? Some of you are still sitting there going, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> And you freak out because your phone's not working anymore. So you get on some computer and you go, help, my life's over. Guess what? You made it. You still survived. It's amazing how much stuff you can get by without. Oh man, I grew up in a generation we didn't have mobile phones. We used phones that you dialed. And it took a long time. Come on, who remembers those phones, man? And then we moved to modern technology. It was press buttons. And then we went to cordless phones, man. You remember the cordless phones? And you'd be trying them out going, hey, I'm going to see if it works out here. <laughs> Can you still hear me? Oh, my God, it's unbelievable, man. You'd run out on the road. Is it still working? This is insane. Come on, your car. Now you lose them all the time. Now you lose them all the time. I mean, think about modern technology or modern future and humanity. Even babies will come out cordless. <laughs> we moved over to Malaysia almost seven years ago, right? We sold off absolutely everything and reduced our life to 20 boxes and five suitcases and my Harley Davidson. Because you've got to take the Harley, seriously. I mean, you don't even stuff around with that. There's a Harley Davidson, for goodness sake. So, and this it. Is this our life reduced to 20 boxes? Almost 40 years of living. Reduced to 20 boxes. Almost 40 years of living. 20 boxes, five suitcases. I was freaking out. Do you know what? We've been living in Malaysia for seven years now. We still have six unpacked boxes. 
just sitting in a room. I don't even know what's in there. Apparently, I couldn't do without it. I've got no idea what's in the box. We still haven't even opened up. It's probably Andy from Toy Story. All those little green Martians going, the claw, we are eternally grateful. Ooh, ah. <laughs> it's amazing what you can get by without. It's amazing what you can get by without. And sometimes storms will come in your life to clear out the clutter. Hebrews 12 verse one, I use this at the men's conference, not for every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with the race, endurance, the race that God has set before us. I remember Adele when run with the race, endurance, the race that God has set before us. I remember Adele when Adele became very popular on her album 23, I think it was, right? Remember she sung this song. She sung this song. She went, I heard that you settled down, that you found a girl and you're married now. Come on, you remember that song, right? And then she went into that chorus. She went, never mind, I'll find someone like you. Now, my question is, why do you want another guy like him? He dumped you. <laughs> why do you want to find another guy like him? He messed your life up. Shouldn't the chorus read, never mind, I'll find someone better than you. I mean, listen. Why would you date Pete and now repeat? <laughs> but we as Christians are like this, man. We give God our, our chain, but we go, put it back, could it put it back together again? Every chain, but we go, put it back, could it put it back together again? Break every chain. Come on, folks. Don't we? Don't we do that? God, I give this to you, but I'll take it back and look after it this week. You know what I'm saying? It's ridiculous, and you wonder why you're not conquering anything because you don't leave it with God. Amen? Are we okay? Number four, you have to feed yourself in a storm. You have to feed yourself in a storm. You know, when you're in a storm, you need to make yourself eat. It says this, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. How do you feed yourself when you're going through your storm? I know a lot of people that feed themselves when you're going through your storm. I know a lot of people that feed themselves on negativity. They go and find another cynic. Find someone, birds of a feather flock together. Yeah, that, that flipping the Clippers church, mate, do nothing for me. Yeah, I went down for prayer, nothing happened, nothing changed. Yeah, that's right. Come on, folks. Yeah, nothing's happening. Church is doing nothing for me. Guess what? You're the church. What's the church doing? What's the church doing to reach the poor? Well, ask yourself in the mirror. Understand? What are you feeding yourself? Do you feed yourself negativity? Sam. What are you feeding yourself? Do you feed yourself negativity? Do you feed yourself cynicism? Do you get all upset? You hide away. You put up on your Facebook status, life sucks. And then everybody starts replying you and you know they're replying you, but you ignore them because you want them to worry even more. Then you sit in your room eating ice cream, watching Bridget Jones' diary going, oh, by myself. <laughs> what did you feed yourself on? We pull away from the church when we're going through a hard time. Isn't it amazing? Christians, when they're going through a hard time, walk away from the church. Atheists, when they're going through a hard time, come into the church. 
We could learn coming, Pastor. Well, I'm not coming to church, man. I'm going through a hard time. If you go to the hard time, the place where you should be is here. I'm coming to church, man. I'm going through a hard time. If you go to the hard time, the place where you should be is here. Getting frustrated. You should be, you should put yourself in that position. Does that make sense? Come on, folks. What do you feed yourself on a storm? Get your face out of Facebook and put your face in this book. Amen. Praise God, come on. Praise God, come on. One of my friends wanted to start a new social media app. He wanted to take Facebook, he wanted to take YouTube, and he wanted to take Twitter, and he was going to call it Youth Twitface. <laughs> I like that one. I thought it was pretty good. Praise God. <laughs> Number five, in a storm, stay close. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down in the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you can't be saved. You've got to stay in unity, my friends. Best to come together, my friends. Best to come together. Like I said, you separate yourself. You pull away. You hide away. You, you, you just live in a den of darkness, man. You know what breeds in darkness? Negatives. That's the only thing that develops in dark rooms. I'm working so flipping hard here, seriously. I'm working hard here. I'm working so flipping hard here, seriously. I'm working to 10,000. It's the power of unity. Where there's unity, Bible says God commands a blessing. When you don't feel like you can raise your arms, get around someone that will raise them for you. Amen. Amen. You've got, what, you've got to get united, man. We've got to get united. Where there's unity, God commands. We use this scripture in weddings all the time, but how many people know it wasn't just written for weddings? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for the work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Married. Praise God. <laughs> but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's not a marriage scripture. It's a life scripture. Why don't we make a decision that we're going to stay united come what may? When you're feeling discouraged, go and find someone that's full of life, come what may. When you're feeling discouraged, go and find someone that's full of life. They'll annoy you at first, but you'll catch their fire. Amen. Praise God. Are we okay, folks? Last point, number six, trust God. His ways are not our ways. Trust God. His ways are not our ways. Right? I mean, come on, man. We always think that we can tell God how to do things. You know, I mean, everybody wants to do that. Jesus, I want you to provide for me, and this is how I'd like it to happen. I mean, when Jesus joins says, hey, boys, the Son of Man's going to be betrayed, going to be betrayed into the hands of men, going to be crucified, going to be resurrected on the third day. Booyah. Peter goes, he's just on the high from being called Rocky. <laughs> so he tells the disciples, chill out, man, I got this. Yo, Messiah, come here, man. Not so, Lord. It's a bad plan. How many people know he was just on this high? And Jesus, he, Peter went from being called Rocky to Satan in five verses. That is a serious demotion. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> how many people know you don't need to tell God how to do his job? Amen. Praise God. I want you to provide for me, and I'd like it to be a dove that flies down with a gold bar. You know, I mean, give me a break. Just trust God. His ways are not our ways, but he will fulfill what he said he'd do. You know, I've got a mate of mine. His name is John Herbert. He, uh, he's now pioneering a church in Singapore, but this guy is about that country. And uh, in the early days, as a young man, he migrated so passionate about that country. And uh, in the early days, as a young man, he migrated to Perth with his family as a boy. He didn't have a choice, obviously. His parents took him there. He ended up marrying an Aussie girl, a Perth farm girl. 
And then when they got married, they were in a church and then they made a decision they're going to go back to Cape Town, South Africa and get involved in church life there. So they made the decision and uh, moved over there. Cape Town is a place where it's 90, 95% crime of violence, right? They won't just rob you, they'll hurt you. And even if you haven't got anything, they'll still try and hurt you, right? And so they're living over there and I was over there speaking from a, a, a few years back and they're telling me this crazy story, right? One night, John's out on a visitation. Someone's picked him up and they've gone out on a visitation. Her sister-in-law, because she's just lost her husband and they're looking after her, right? right? Her sister-in-law, because she's just lost her husband and they're looking after her, right? So they, take, they took her out, whatever they were doing, some girls together, right, you know? And they drive back at nighttime. They get back into the driveway. As they get out the car, a robber gets out the bushes and says to Debbie, who's holding her sister's bag, says, give me the bag. Debbie says, no, right? And then the guy pulls out a gun. And he says, now give me the bag. And Debbie still says, no. Right? And I said, why didn't you give him the bag? She goes, because it wasn't my bag. It was my sister's bag. She's already lost her husband. I don't want her to lose anything else. Right? So this guy goes, give me the bag or I'll shoot you. So long story short, they have this wrestling match because Debbie won't let go of the bag. Finally, the guy shoots her. The robber's dragging her down the driveway. Right? The gunshot alerted all the neighbors. So all the neighbors come out and go, gunfight. They've all got guns over there. It's like flipping cowboys and Indians, man. So they all start shooting at the robber who's now hiding behind John and Debbie's car, right? Shooting, there's massive shootout going on. Long story short, the robber got away somehow, some way, right? And then they call an ambulance and they're racing Debbie off to the hospital. So someone goes, we need to call John, her, her husband, right? So that John gets his phone call. He's sitting down in a restaurant with another guy on a visit. And they say, Pastor John, your wife has been shot. And then the phone goes dead. How many people know he's just entered a storm, Right? So he's freaking out. He's trying to ring back, no answer. So then he's ringing whoever else around. He's ringing, no one's picking up the phone. Obviously, they're all in a panic trying to get a hospital. My wife's been shot. And he goes, which hospital? He goes, I don't know. Go to the hospital. My wife's been shot. And he goes, which hospital? He goes, I don't know. So there's three hospitals nearby. So they drive to the first hospital. He runs in. My name's John Herbert. It's my wife here, Debbie Herbert. She's been shot. And they said, we haven't heard of anybody called Debbie Herbert. So he gets in the car, drives to the next hospital. Second hospital says the same thing. And they said, yes, Debbie Herbert, she's here. She's just having an operation round. She's been shot in the knee. So it calmed him down a little bit, but it's still a desperate situation, right? They had to graph her knee together, right? Graph her knee together. And long story short, she couldn't walk properly, right? So she's now on crutches. She has to use a walking stick and she's got pain and they reckon she'll never walk properly again, right? The car in the meantime that's been all shot up, John and Debbie's car has been taken. To three months has passed. Debbie's in a church meeting and God touches her powerfully. I don't know whether it was during the worship or church meeting and God touches her powerfully. I don't know whether it was during the worship or the prayer or whatever it was and God instantly heals her knee. Boom, just healed. Now she can walk perfectly, right? God absolutely healed, right? But wait, there's more. John is now driving in his car that he's got back from the crash repairs that has been fixed from the bullet holes and restructured and all that sort of stuff there, right? He's driving down the motorway and the motorways, they've got massive highways in Cape Town like, and they've got freeways and then there's overpasses where you're going down a different direction. The, the motorway will take you another way, you know, on the underpass, right? He's driving on, he's listening to this message on CD in his car and this preacher's preaching away and a preacher overpass. This preacher says, and the devil's trying to take you out. As, the, as those words came out of the, the, the speakers, the, as, the, as those words came out of the, the, the speakers, the railing of the overpass breaks and John sees this car flying in midair coming straight for him. So he's looking as the car's twisting, the person in the other car's screaming and he's just going, okay, Lord, here I come, right? And the car lands right on top and crushes the car, crushes the car. 
right? So when the emergency rescue and the team come out, they're, you know, to cut the car open and try and take out the corpse, which is what they're expecting to find. Instead, they find John alive. And the only reason why John was alive is because four months ago, they reinforced it with stronger steel than the car manufacturer made. And they reinforced it with stronger steel than the car manufacturer made. Otherwise, he would have been dead. How many people know that God always has the final say? Amen. Come on. I mean, some of us go, does that mean God allowed the robbers? No. God didn't cause Debbie to be shot or the car to be shot up, but God said, devil, you don't have the last word. Whatever you intended for bad, I'm gonna turn around for good, amen. Philippians 1 verse six says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, Peter. So some of you has you yet. The fact that you woke up this morning means God hasn't finished with you yet. The fact that you can hear my voice right now means God hasn't finished with you yet. I don't need to understand your situation. He understands. It's amazing how something, listen to me. I want to say this, and I say this with all love and respect. Some people can listen to a message like this and understand that there's freedom in this message, but still walk out of here bound up. Yeah, my life sucks. You haven't listened to anything I've said. God wants to set you free. God wants to remind you that He hasn't finished with you yet. That no matter what you're going through, He's with you all the way. Does this make sense, church? He hasn't finished with you yet. And there's gonna be a victory at the end. As Pastor Will was saying, this kid was dying of leukemia, this song that was written, I raised a hallelujah. That singer, the one who wrote that song, got a phone call from his mate saying, they told me my boy won't make the night. And just wanted to let him know first, because they were best friends. And he says, I just went into my room, this worship leader, and he says, I started getting angry. And he says, and all of a sudden I started writing this song and it was, I raise a hallelujah. And that's where it came from. And they began to sing and make this declaration. My, my, my weapon, uh, you know what he says, my weapon is the melody, right? And he began to make this declaration and things began to turn around and the kid was totally healed. But do you understand? How many people know the devil doesn't have the final say? So I wanna encourage you, let me in. So I want to encourage you, let me tell you, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what circumstance you're going through, God's going to turn it around. God is going to turn it around. Some of you can testify to that because you've had that over and over again. You can look back and testify to the goodness of our God. Some of you right now are maybe going through that midst right now and it's hard. Trust Him. Trust Him. Ask God this question. God, what am I supposed to learn right now? You know, the children in the wilderness asked the right question, but they asked with the wrong attitude. They said, why are we here? Right question, wrong attitude. It could have been a 14-day journey as opposed to a 40-year. It could have been a 14-day journey as opposed to a 40-year. Amen? I don't feel like God just wants to do that in some of our lives. And I, I, honestly, I'm a pastor, so I'm sympathetic to your situations. I've been through my own private things. We've got to learn to trust Him. We've got to learn to put our trust in Him. I was talking to Tico, and please forgive me, I've gone a bit over time here, but I want to say this. I was talking to Tico as we're driving. He was taking me to the airport today. And I remember this one thing, right? You know when people try and say, God's doing nothing, blah, 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 nothing's going on in my life, nothing's changing, blah, blah, blah. I remember I'm driving through when I was living in Melbourne. I was driving through. I'm impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. And as I'm singing it, 
I felt like God said to me, do you know what that means? I said, it means nothing is impossible for you. You know how you feel pretty good about answering God, right? And he goes, yeah, 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 but do you know what it means? I said, it, mean, I mean, it means for other people it's impossible, but for you, nothing's impossible. And he goes, yeah, 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 but do you know what it means? Now, when God asks you three times, just say no. So I said, obviously not. And he said, listen, Matt, nothing is impossible for me. To do nothing, comma, is impossible for me. Amen. We've seen it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. How many people? God is always working. Faith is the evidence of things yet seen. So it doesn't mean you see it right now, but it's actually happening. Our God is always active. He's always doing something in your life. You might not feel it. You might not see it yet. But let me tell you, nothing is impossible for our God. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equippers Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.